Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peach Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Uh, Glenn, what am I supposed to make of the Cleveland Cavaliers? The I don't Hawks, know. It's... The Hawks go there to play a game tomorrow night, and they're, they're running lineups with Jarrett Allen, Laurie Markinen, and the rookie, Evan Mobley. I know it's it's uh, Laurie Markin at the at the three. I guess that would have to be. Um, you got me. I'll take your word for it. I don't know. Is that what it would have to be? I think, I guess it's I, not Jared Allen, but yeah. Well, it's it's kind of funny because if you recall at the beginning of last season, you know when the Gallows signing happened, I, we, most of us were like, he's got to start. And the only way we could figure out it would figure out it working was starting Capella, JC, and Gallo. And I mean, and and we said clearly like that, that should be like for just a couple minutes, just to get the, you know, the guys in the starting lineup to start and, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, you know, now uh up in Cleveland, they're doing that kind of uh, as a regular thing, <laughs> getting a power forward down there to the three a, a guy who some would say needs to play at the five but they're they're financially invested in those positions uh up there for sure so it should be should be interesting um to see how it works out uh tomorrow night saturday night yeah so we're recording late 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 on a friday night i'm most of you may listen to this after the cleveland game actually takes place i don't know um but i'm intrigued <laughs> I'm intrigued. You know, you got Ricky Rubio in the in the backcourt, Colin Sexton. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I know we're going to talk about the opener, but it will be interesting to see if that big lineup will force uh, Nate to actually play Hunter on the Ford as opposed to putting on one of the, point, on one of the guards or one of the point guards, depending on how you want to talk about um, Garland and Sexton. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of potentially forces the way that the Hawks match up on defense, at least to start the game on Saturday. All right. Uh, we're like five days into the season. I think this, you know, I, I think people that make their predictions before the season starts, they're, they're just going off blind. Nothing. I think this is the ideal time. Give it, give it, get that, you know, stick your foot in the water and gauge the temperature. Uh, what if I asked you for like your predictions for awards? Oh, a, a um, week into the season, Who, who's going to be the MVP? You know, I, I think it's going to be Kevin Durant. I, but I feel like that'll be a little bit of a, um, uh, kind of a vote that kind of catches him up with like his due a little bit. Um, and the and lifetime achievement be, award. Well, I mean, he's it's not like it'd be his first, so you know, right? Oh, for sure. Like, I got, I mean, what Kobe's what second or uh, Kobe got one that wasn't his first, that was kind of like that, I think. Um, if I'm recalling correctly, but that'll certainly depend on how much Harden dominates the ball if Kyrie is out all year long. Um, you know, and, and there's just a lot of variables there. Uh, and how many games KD actually uh, plays this year. But I, I just feel like he's well-suited to be in a team that's likely to finish with the first or second seed, um, be, uh, you know, maybe the best offensive player in the league this year, uh, potentially. Um, and I just think that kind of sets him up to um, 
And voters, I think, tend to be a, a little more willing to vote for guys who are coming off of a kind of a, a season impacted by injury. And then the he was phenomenal in the postseason uh, last year. So I just feel right. like the, the narrative aspect is kind of uh, aligning with him a bit uh, right now. How about you? Who do you have? Well, before I do that, I just want to say he's <laughs> got the same problem that Cleveland does. Like everybody on that entire roster is a big. He's going to have to play so much small forward this season because it's Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge and Paul Millsap. And they're going, you know, it's like, you know, when Miami signed P.J. Tucker, it's like, wow, not only does Miami get P.J. Tucker, they they keep him off of the Bucks. It's like, maybe that's going to be the Hawks and TLC. It's like, it's it's not, I mean, TLC is a fine, respectable player, but at the same time, it's just like, Brooklyn needs somebody like that. We're getting way too much Javon Carter at this point. Yeah, and I like Javon Carter, but he's just a tough fit there. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I like him generally as a guy who could, you know, help a team in just in a general sense. But it's just so funny to see that because in the postseason, Durant really needed to play the five last year. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I was a little concerned for him, just not that he couldn't do it, uh, right. in the way that so many other guys kind of that have been at the power forward position for a while um, now could do, but just because, you know, he tends to get banged up and, you right. know, and things like that. So it's now he's, you're right, with the way the roster is constructed, either Millsap's not going to play at all or you know, Alders has been playing ahead of Millsap so far. Um, and, or, um, you know, he's never going to get to play even at the four, much less the five this year. So it, it, that that's going to be interesting to see uh, kind of how that how that works out. But yeah, to, to go back to the original, I, th- I think it'll be Giannis. I think he's kind of kind of some continuity. I think he's still right there at the peak. I think the team around him is set up for success. Uh, I just really like... Uh, what what they've got there. I think they'll miss PJ Tucker in the postseason to go full circle to 60 seconds ago, but in the regular season, I think he lines up very well for another award. What about rookie of the year? Oh boy. Well, I mean, I would have said Cade. I think Cade is on a team with low expectations and he'll get to possess the ball a lot and initiate. Um, I mean, I, I, I like green and Houston, but I just think that, you know, Kevin Porter jr. Is going to rightfully, you know, uh, kind of dominate the initiation uh, <laughs> down there. So right. yeah, the rookie of the year is kind of a numbers game and a popularity game kind of all matched up in case right. it's, you know, has more name recognition coming into the season and, and seems set up. I mean, Killian Hayes is not going to, for example, take any possessions away from, Cade and you know and I feel like Cade has just enough kind of to work with I feel like Jeremy Grant will be helpful uh, if his usage comes down with Cade kind of coming in uh, to Detroit and and um, some other you know CD Bay and some other you know just solid wings that can uh, kind of convert baskets and things like that so that, that's my guess and apart from those two I know people are in love with um, you know, Singoon down in Houston too, but I just don't see. I, mean, I just in terms of all the chatter and all yeah. of the, you know, uh, but he's just not going to play enough, nor it would be kind of feature enough. And so I, that's that, that's kind of how I see it going. Um, if Orlando weren't so kind of uh, guard rich <laughs> with, you know, did you say garbage? Of, what? 
guard rich. Oh, guard rich. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't have to win a ton of games to be rookie of the year, but you know, um, you know, Suggs, I think would be in a better position if they weren't kind of seemingly committed to giving uh, those guards that they carried over, you know, um, Fultz and Anthony uh, into this year. So I think that Suggs will just not get as much opportunity kind of on the ball as, uh, um, as Kate, your thoughts. All right. And just kind of picking names out of a hat. I think it'll be Jalen green, but I, you know, that and sixth man, I hate, I hate trying to pick that. Cause it just, you feel like you're at the, the whims of their coaches. So. Yeah. And then, I mean, like who's going to start, like, my, like right, let's exactly do six right. man. Like I, I thought it was going to be Grayson Allen, but I don't know. I, you know, the, the bucks have to get a lot healthier. I think, I think yeah. they're going to, the, the bucks. I think, yeah, exactly. So, and I think Bud has a propensity to realize that, you know, October and November aren't really what this team is about. So I think there are going to be a lot of nights off, a lot of, a lot of uh, thoughtful resting of players and, uh, that's going to press Grayson Allen into a lot more starts and my, my vision of him winning the sixth man one. And, and, and again, somebody, I put this on Twitter and, and somebody's like, you can't say that about Grayson. It's not a character reference. It's just, I, I think it's an ideal situation for him with that skill set for what the voters are looking for, for that award. It just kind of fits, but I hate picking that award. Yeah. I, I, yeah, the only one I didn't pick on Twitter was Coach of the Year because that's ridiculous trying to pick. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought Brunson had the best shot, and I know that's a little bit easy because he, he was I think he was top three in voting last year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, th- I think with Thomas Bryant being hurt in Washington, Trez is going to start a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. He was in the conversation last year. I don't think right. like Lou's going to play enough this year, probably. No. um to get it uh so you know jordan clarkson could you know repeat what he did uh for sure i guess but i i think i think i think um you know lucas just gonna need some help with ball handling and shot creation and i think brunson will kind of just get a lot of opportunity there and probably it would seem play off the bench all year long so that, that's my that's my choice there yeah and and you know i I put Grayson Allen and like everybody else, all my other picks I would stick with. If I could change it now, I, I might go to like Dennis Schroeder or Tyler Hero. I think yeah. you know, if, if Tyler is, Hero uh, keeps coming off the bench, that that, that would be a yeah, but Schroeder's a, a hard pick. one to figure out if he's gonna start this year. Yeah, that know, too. Favorite, yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so I think the Heat are gonna be a popular team and be on TV a lot. And I think yeah. they're gonna have a good well, I mean, I've gone back and forth on whether I was going to pick the Heat to finish ahead of the Hawks in the seeding. Um, I, I think Kyle Lowry helps them a ton, an absolute ton. Sure. Uh, but they don't have the depth that sometimes no. the regular season uh, demands. And Butler's and not an 80-game season no, type of player. He'll play uh, 60 or 56 or something like that. And, and Lowry's at that age, too, where you wonder how many yep. he can put in, you yep. know, and things like that. So I, I feel like that will – uh, but that could open things up for uh, you know him down there in uh, Miami, uh, Mister uh, Hero. So um, we'll, we'll see. Should be a should be a fun season across the board. Which one are we missing? Oh, did, did you do the most improved? That's kind of a. I, I, I thought it was going to be DeAndre Hunter. That's something that I wrote before the opener. Oh, that's, oh, that's right. That's so right. That's I, right. I'm not feeling bad about it at the moment. Not at all. He was my pick too. I think he's just. 
primed. And then, you know, maybe this is a way to transition in the Mavs game. But, you know, if you kind of look at the Trey, I think had three assists at the half and finished with 14. Right. And when I was rewatching, uh, I was trying to figure out what, you know, what adjustment did they make uh, coming out of halftime offensively to kind of open that. And really they just, in the first half, they were playing through everybody, including Hunter. Yep. And including Collins getting post touches, including Redis doing whatever he wanted to <laughs> whatever, um, yeah. and stuff. But but in the, in the second half, they played through Trey, uh, you know, pretty heavily, and that was the big that, that was really the big difference is that Trey was just kind of one of the five on offense for most of the first half, and then when they got in the second half, and so if that's how they're going to approach things, I think that's going to open up a ton of touches for Hunter. He's I think I think people don't realize the capacity his offensive game has to be from an efficiency standpoint um, and, you know, in a production standpoint um, and then defensively, you know, getting a lot of shine for the job he did on Luca and that first game certainly kind of got the eyeballs on him to start the season right. from that standpoint. So I, I, I think he is, is sort of a, already kind of a half step ahead of everybody else, just from uh, the kind of attention that came from his work in that opener. Yeah, and he's, you know, just in terms of the award, I think the injury helps him because nobody was watching the Hawks last October. Nobody thought that they were anything worth watching. So, you know, if you saw Hunter last October, you, you know, it was probably a pretty eye-opening experience if you're just kind of an NBA observer at large and you weren't really watching, you know, I, I you're like, well, who, who's this guy and where did he come from? And you know, really, I think it's mostly just health. Like, these are all things he could have yeah. done last season. I, I think, you know, there's still going to be a natural progression of learning the game and learning other players' tendencies and seeing more stuff on film and just being around him more where his third year is going to be ahead of his second year. But I don't think he would have been too far off from 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 what we've seen so far. So, Yeah, and if, if – casual fans uh watch the playoffs last year they may not have even known he was on the team if they yeah, didn't catch it fast enough you unless know. you watch the Knicks series but he he wasn't the same player in the Knicks series either because he no, was hurt no I mean, and he's just rusty yeah and it's interesting because i've been very vocal about the fact that you know i was i've been curious if he was going to be a point guard defender now luke is not your you know typical point guard from a size standpoint no. and all that sort of stuff um, but I, I didn't know how much he would defend kind of the primary guy on the team. And it, certainly that was uh, his assignment in game one. Going to be interesting in game two. Like yeah, I, said, I was going to say, what would you expect for Cleveland? Like if it's Ricky Rubio or if, you know, how do you match up with Rubio and Sexton? Like where, where does, how does that work out? I mean, well, you, you probably have to um, start with Hunter on one of them just because that's a ton to ask with Trey, either Trey or Bogdanovich to kind of match up with those two really quick, you know, um, guards that can kind of use their quickness to create and stuff. So it's a, it's a weird matchup for the Hawks. Um, um, but at the same time, you know, this is the kind of matchup that made me scratch my head and ask myself if it's, if it's a great idea to have Hunter taking on that workload like this early in the season, Luca was a you know uh, he did great, but that's a that's a lot of work to ask a guy to do. Yeah, and then second game two days later, you put him on a smaller, faster guy who's going to run him probably off of even more screens um, than he saw uh, against Luca because uh, frankly the Mavs didn't run a ton of pick and roll for some crazy reason. 
Um, but you know, it's just I still wonder like cumulatively across the season how much workload makes sense, especially as they go up against teams like Cleveland that have a number of smaller guards. I, I have no problem with him taking on Rubio, the Rubio minutes, but you know, no um you know, I'm not trying to just like bash on my Minnesota guy. Um, but uh but the just the where Ricky is right now in his career not, you know, looking to really push the pace and use the speed and get in the transition like he did when he was younger and just not the threat. So that's, a, I think, a pretty comfortable opportunity to get him on the ball as a defender. I, I think he's capable against the, the you know, Sexton and Garland. Um, I Like I said, the question for me comes back to what's the cumulative defensive workload you want to ask him to take on the season? And, you know, I guess we'll see how that looks uh, in game two. When, game one, they didn't seem concerned. And uh, it worked out uh, quite well, and, and DeAndre uh, did a great job. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the Hawks kind of play it straight. Like, I I think we could see Trey guard Rubio. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, where do you hide Trey? Like, if you just pick one player in that starting lineup and say, okay, well, who's, who's, who does Trey guard? It's, is it Rubio? Well, aren't they starting Sexton and Garland? Uh, I thought Rubio started tonight. Yeah, Rubio started. Sexton. I didn't. Did Sexton not play? Sexton played, but Garland didn't. Oh, I mean, so I meant that Garland not play because I was I watched some stretches of it and never never saw Garland. So, okay, so that yeah, I mean, if Rubio plays, you have to put Trey on Rubio. Yeah. Uh, I I had to have to look up what Garland's status is. I thought it was strange that as many times as I flipped over tonight uh that i didn't see garland and figure maybe he he was uh not playing as a result of that but i got i got sucked into pacers wizards and missed probably the fourth quarter of uh you could have watched nets sixers and you watch pacers wizards yeah i wanted to see they both have new coaches i wanted to see how what how dinwiddie was featured with washington especially with bill not playing um, and then it ended up being a really fun game. I wanted to see um, how much Sabonis and Turner were playing together uh, under Carlisle and see kind of what they did. There was just a lot to take in from okay. a kind of scheme and coaching perspective there. For I sure. feel like I know what the Sixers are going to do, and I feel like I know what the Nets are going to do. You know? That's true. I did, when I when I saw the Nets kind of storming back, I did have a chance to flip over and catch the end of that one. So the timing worked out that I could uh, kind of catch the dramatic part of the end of the ESPN's first game. Um, And right before we jumped on, I don't know if you saw it, but Lakers and Suns, uh, AD and Dwight got into a little uh, tussle uh, during the timeout. (laughs) (laughs) Never ends with Dwight, Kevin. Oh, well, yeah. I will will say that I think that, that you know, just as an aside, throw in at this point, uh, I think I picked Monty Williams as my coach of the year candidate just because uh, it's first of all, it's a complete dartboard toss to pick coach of the year. But second of all, I think, you know, voters have a certain remorse when they screw up and they screwed up last year. It should have been <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It for sure. should have been Monty. And it seems like every year there's legitimately like three coaches that right. just have a kind of a, uh, you know, undebatable case, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to get it to one, but I mean, the, the leap that they took, I know some people are like, well, you got Chris Paul, you know, but uh, you know what? Chris Paul never made the finals before. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now he did at age 36. He, he did. He did. So I, I thought Monty was phenomenal and, and 
Yeah, it also depends on how you view the award because I think the work that Monty did the prior season, she really instilled discipline and structure and role clarity and getting guys pulling in the same direction. Um, And, and, you know, um, I don't want to get into the potential Sarber stuff tonight, but for a franchise that has (laughs) been, you know, you know, struggling to be competent in any way you know to, so that free that's part of the calculation of why i thought he, he deserved it so much who's gonna win it this year oh man you know i have absolutely no clue i mean if the hawks repeat you know kind of nate's portion of the season last year he'll have a strongest case than anybody in, right. in my view you know um so but that's the hardest one for me to try to kind of tease out so from a Hawks point of view, speaking of coaching, uh, you know, I've one of the things I've been probing with questions over the last couple of weeks is, you know, how are things different now that Nate has time? Because he didn't really have time last season. And you get kind of hints and glimmers, but nobody really says a whole lot. But, you know, you get to see a game and then you you can put your fingers on it and, and pour over it. And did, did you see anything that felt significantly different to you uh, compared to what we saw from the Nate portion of the season last season? Yeah, well, I mean, it's there's a little bit of a whiplash dynamic because all of our memory, all of our kind of working memory is from the postseason when the coaching staff and the teams put like 10 times more game planning and, you know, a lot more specificity into um, uh, just the, the plan for how they approach everything in the game. And there's just not that opportunity in the regular season. So you had to kind of pull back and adjust your expectations. Um, I thought defensively, um, it was mostly uh, the same. Um, you know, Clint being the anchor, Clint does what he does, and everything is kind of built from there. So I didn't see a ton there. I uh, The one thing I did notice that was different from the playoffs is that the players seem to be calling their own reads in terms of switching, in terms of who was tagging. Uh, at the rim from where when there was ambiguity around that so it looked like the players uh, were empowered to decide for themselves at at moments you know what kind of um, coverage they were going to execute on any given possession you know you know I think JC was uh, mic'd up with the national broadcast I think if I recall correctly okay and if the if fans remember him telling uh, in one clip that they played back telling Clint, stay up, stay up, stay up. That was him telling Clint, I've got the rim. Don't worry about getting back here to the rim, which is always Clint's instinct. But when John finds himself behind Clint, John's got to tell Clint he's there. And in that case, Clint will stay higher and try to impact the ball, you know, um, further away from the rim. And there were a few switches that I saw that were, uh, and it was mostly JC kind of initiating a lot of that stuff um, because he had Porzingis and because Porzingis was, I think, their heaviest ball screener in the game, it just so happened to kind of work out that way. But I saw a lot more read-based coverages as opposed to by-the-book coverages than I recall seeing last year. Of course, last year against the Knicks, they were loading up on Randall, and then they were loading up on Embiid, uh, and then trying to do whatever they could to wall off Giannis. And and, and that was like the, the big, big, big challenge. So again, different context and different environment, but a lot of read-based coverages on defense and they did it really well Uh, now um as an aside i thought the mavs ran the basic simple stuff that the kid ran in milwaukee uh and that luca was in the honest kind of role there so i didn't think the mavs threw a lot of um really challenging stuff at the hawks but uh but luca in and of himself is challenging and so 
Um, I just thought they did really well there. On the other on offense, I just thought, you know, the first half, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, I just thought they played through everybody. You got everybody kind of a uh, an equal amount of touches. Got John, I think, four post-touches in the in the first half, none for Clint, which is appropriate, um, using him as the ball screener. Um, they did a lot of, of the guard big staggered screen um, as opposed to going big, big and having a dive and, you know, kick out to the – Mm-hmm. perimeter which allows them to ghost a lot of that first screen when it's the guard uh, so an offense it was pretty similar with that ghost uh guard guard wing ghost screen stuff followed by a big step in or step up uh and stuff but, but if i pull back the first half was get everybody involved get everybody touches get everybody chances to initiate and then in the second half when they started to really i mean they really hammered the mavericks in the second half Trey was initiating and Trey was running the show in the second half. And that's why the offense went to a whole different level. Will that be the approach the whole season? You know, where they kind of mix it up in the first half and let Trey kind of take over the second half. It'll take a few games to kind of see if that's the case, but those are the kind of the big themes I saw. I do think from, from, you know, what we hear, you know, when, when they talk about the team, especially Nate, like, I do think that sort of, uh, just kind of feel it out and, and, and sort of uh, take turns, so to speak. I, I think that's kind of what's coming for the bench lineups. I don't think, I, and that could change. I get the sense that that could change, but, it, you know, when we ask Nate about it, it's, he, you know, he kind of says, you know, we, we've got to see what the nature of that bench lineup is going to be. But until he knows what it is, I think it's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of feeling out, feel out, feel it out on any given night. Uh, I think they'll use Gorgia as sort of the connective tissue. Uh, a lot of stuff with him, you know, making passes from the elbow, uh, you know, and just kind of being the connector between the guards. Uh, but, it'll be, you know, it'd be more interesting to see what, what the overall offensive patterns are on, uh, on the tray lineups, on the starters, uh, it, it, it didn't seem like there was any distinctive character. Like you said, the two halves felt totally different. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't suspect it will be a whole lot different than what say we saw in the playoffs, but it's still going to be interesting to see, you know, the little dynamics, especially if, if, you know, Deandre stays healthy and, and takes on a, you know, a bigger role should, should be interesting defensively. I thought last night, you know, Hunter was trying to force Luca to his right. He was just kind of trying to stay on his left shoulder as much as possible. And and to me, it felt like Clint, it was kind of like, it, he didn't seem like, first of all, he didn't seem like he cared about Powell at all. And he certainly didn't seem like he cared about any sort of defensive three seconds. Like the, that's not a thing they call in the NBA anymore. It's just like, that's something that happened two, three years ago, but now you can do whatever you want. But I felt like, you know, when the ball was in Lucas' hands, he was coming up closer to the level of the screen a lot just to kind of help Hunter because Hunter was so one-sided and trying to take away Lucas' right hand that that was just kind of the, the, the necessary step to kind of keep Luca uncomfortable and, and not able to do a whole lot with his right hand. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 
I agree. Yeah, it's funny because they try to not let Luca get to a screen to Luca's left. Because uh, Luca loves to go left and step back and get back to his right hand, either work mm-hmm. back to his right hand in the paint or get to a, a, his obviously right handed shot as a step back. But they so they would kind of wall him off from the screener as right. much as they could. But then whoever was on the defensive left wing was ready with a dig or a stunt constantly. And there was a lot of times they really um, affected Luca's rhythm attacking with his dribble to the right by having that near side defender, you know, dig or stunt down or, or whatever it was. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's, you know, I, I used to follow Nate as a coach as one of, you know, 30 or, you know, whatever number of teams there were in the league at different points right. of his head coaching career and stuff. And, uh, and having had an opportunity last year to dig in more uh, and, and now coming into this season, I mean, defensive preparation is really the thing that's important to him. If you, if you had to watch his teams play, and uh, your first game of the season, you've got potentially weeks to plan for that. So, you know, how much um, of that same level of precision could we expect in game two, game three, game four? Because they're, you know, <laughs> in this case, two day right. turnaround. So, did they did they give themselves like just a two day window to really dig in here, or do they use weeks? You know, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. But I do know that like that's where Nate is really invested as a coach in defensive assignments. Every single person knows the assignment. We talked about how I feel that's going to impact like Jalen Johnson's playing time this year, uh, potentially, you know, and, and things like that. But they were they were so precise in what they were trying to do, uh, intending to do uh, in that first game. Like we said, not letting Luka get left, not especially not letting him get left to a screen, pushing him right having the wing help on that side, ready to dig or stunt, and then just covering the backside, um, you know, effectively. Uh, even Trey was like really had his head on the swivel when he was mm-hmm. uh, playing the gap on the weak side um, and stuff. So uh, it, it's it's fun because the second game against Cleveland will be an entirely different offensive challenge for them to cover, right? Um, you know, and just see how they kind of handle that and see what kind of preparation goes in there and how um, specific uh, and in-depth their planning will be for how they'll handle that team. And, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, they had them prepared to play defense, and uh, their execution was really precise, on point. The communication was awesome. When they were uh, basing things on reads, they were connected the whole game. Um, and, uh, you know, I just that's just, just uh, fun, fun to watch. Yeah. Which is funny because uh never mind. I should say this. I'm I'm pretty sure what I heard Nate say to his players at the end of one practice, but if I if I'm wrong, I'd look like a dummy. So never mind. I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> um well what what I will say, I don't know what you're talking about, Kevin, but I know what I will <laughs> I might know what you're talking about. But oh, okay. um what what I will say is that I don't, I don't think Dallas played that hard. I think they got frustrated. I think there was a certain level of yeah. irritation. Yeah. Sure. It just... Because, it, and that's the thing is like when you play through one guy, if that one guy gets frustrated, then the whole team gets frustrated because you can't not, you know what I mean? You can't not get frustrated if the one guy who's going to have the ball all the time gets frustrated. And I felt like Luca got frustrated, and that sort of instantly pervades the whole team at that point. And, and 
there he didn't bark at the referees like nearly as much as he has in his career. I don't know if that's an emphasis from the coach, this new coaching staff or whatever, but does he kind of have to check out a little bit mentally to not be kind of in that mode where he's barking at the refs constantly. So, you know, a lot of change for him, a lot of change for the team. I, I, if I were talking to Mavs fans, I would, I would be like, don't put too much on this one game. It's one game. And, you know, I'm not a huge coach kid fan, Uh, you know, full transparency there. But, you know, um, get, people evolve. As, as Players evolve, coaches evolve. We saw that with, with Nate last year being a, a great example. Um, but, I, yeah, I just, I mean, one game, but the Mavs were not impressive and uh, to me anyway. And I, I think that factors in a little bit to what you make of you know, the Hawks winning so handily. Um, uh, but, you know, I just... I find the Jason Kidd hiring just to be weird. And and Luca didn't look like he was allowed to do nearly as much organic stuff um, as he did in the Carlisle, which is it, it's it's kind of funny to me. I don't I don't want to get on the whole you know Trey Luca thing that you know I, I know we don't want to you know make the, the the trade comparison who won. I don't care. Um, but it is kind of funny that if we look at Carlisle moving on from Dallas and then LP having gotten fired last year, I mean, LP let Trey dominate the ball as much as he ever wanted to. And then Carlisle did the same thing with Luca. And it's just kind of funny to see how both of those teams, you know, in the last, um, you know, calendar year have new coaches <laughs> and, and Trey's, clearly you know buying into not being on the ball all the time and having his workload right size from a standpoint playing through others uh and things like that and, and now luke has been under kid for one regular season game now and it's, it's gonna be fascinating to see does lucas start to push really hard for getting back to him being able to do all the organic things that he's always been able to do his whole professional career it seems like or is is it going to be really prescriptive which the, the prescription to a degree in Milwaukee with Giannis made sense because you, Giannis had to be developed from almost nothing as an offensive player. And Luka is on the other end of that spectrum and doesn't really need a lot, much prescription at all. Just let him just roll the ball out and let him kind of go. And he's going to do a lot of good stuff. Right. Um, at but, this point, for I, sure. Yeah. And I, but I felt like there were times it was like Luca's setting the ball screen or Luca's part of the staggered screen or Luca's getting an off ball screen, then coming up to the ball and getting into it. And I just wonder like, is that the right way to get him into a rhythm? You know, like I said, I don't want to write, you know, their plan off after one game, but it, it just looked weird to me. And it's not what I would expect uh, for a team that's featuring uh, Luca Doncic. Um, but, you know, was, Part of that, DeAndre driving him crazy was part of that. The really precise execution from from a team defense standpoint by the Hawks, all the digs, all the stunts, all the on time rotations, all of the gapping the weak side, zoning the weak side, all that. You know, was he just like, yeah, this is just too hard. <laughs> you know, it's hard to tell, but you know, worth keeping an eye on Dallas game two, Dallas game three, um, as they potentially kind of try to do better than they did in their first game two. All right. Uh, pick one more hawk and tell me what you saw about that particular player in in game one that that was of note to you. I think it was JC. Uh, I thought he was so good on defense. Um, I thought the things he did on defense were less obvious than the hunter stuff, mm-hmm. um, the sure. communication, the reads, the all that stuff. You know, 
But then um, I put a little bit of material out on Twitter tonight uh, when I had a little time. But, you know, Kevin, he scored on the uh, in the right mid post without an inside pivot, which was like earth shattering. He always goes to the inside pivot uh, kind of in that area. Um, but um, when you inside pivot from that side, you're exposing the ball to the defender right away. And that got that got that caught up to him in the playoffs at times last year. And so now he does, he, on, on the right block, he turned with his, kept his back uh, to the defender uh, and kind of did the traditional turnaround. And then on the left block, he always historically has pressed, tried to press with his dribble to the middle of the paint and shoot over his left shoulder. Mm-hmm. And he got to his shot without even Which a is, dribble. I'll say this though. We don't see enough of that in the NBA anymore. It's just like no. the most natural thing. It's like, it's like, oh God, if you look like Kareem Abdul Jabbar, what an old fart you are. It's like that right. should be just like the most basic thing. And then everything else should be the counter move to that. And not enough people do it. For sure. But I, I just think what that jumped out to me um, as was just how much more versatility he's work put in through work uh, to having more variety. So I mean, literally, Kevin. Until that, this game, until this specific <laughs> game, I bet if you went back and chart, charted all of his touches on the right block, it was 99.5% inside pivot and then a shot. And then on the left block, it was two to three dribbles to the middle of the paint, left shoulder turn. And that was like his one the one bag and his trick on each side it's of the It's amazing floor. how good he is at those two moves, though. Like <laughs> it, it, it is, but like this is, this is something that you – some growth that's possible when you come out of your first postseason – and especially when it's a deep postseason run, is that yeah, everybody short. was ready for that inside pivot and everybody's ready for that left shoulder turn to the middle of the paint. And so you he I'm sure he, I mean, I would I'm, I should say I'm sure I imagine he came away from the playoffs like I need more versatility. I need more a more diverse set of things that I'm gonna use to get to my shot from those spots on the floor so that so that the defender doesn't absolutely know what's coming. And not only did he demonstrate other ways to get to his shot, but the shots went down. You know, it wasn't like it was less um, natural. It, it looked totally fine. It took, looked just as natural as ever. And so I, you know, I I, th- I saw some stuff bouncing around on uh, like Twitter. Like, is John Collins going to be an all star? I don't. I am not ready to get into that conversation at all. It's hard to make an all star team just by the sheer number of spots there are. Mm-hmm. But I think from what I saw in one game, he is going to just have more ways to get to good shots and if the shot volume is there for him then that opens up the door for him to become a you know 21 22 point uh, per game score you know on pretty good efficiency so um i love this the more diverse set of uh skills and techniques that jc used to create his own shot um and you know one of the criticisms of him and his career at this point has been that he's relying reliant on his point guard really to get any of the scoring and so if if this is something that's going to stick and really be part of his uh game um as the season unfolds it's going to be fun to see what he does with this new stuff and what that means for his sort of his uh offensive production even though you know the stats aren't certainly the story but and when it comes to making the all-star team it is like a lot of the story if that's what a person's interested in but just that versatility um that I showed on offense was re- a really drastic change from my vantage point it caught my eye very good well 
we should do this again soon. Yeah. It's always more fun to have a sample that's bigger than one game. For sure. Well, I mean, they play, what, five and <laughs> yeah. nine? So, yeah. Something like that? I think it's six and ten total, so yeah, like five, five and eight coming up. Yeah, so there should be an opportunity for uh, us to cover two or three games, maybe as much as maybe as much as three, depending on our schedule and stuff. But it, I mean, it's going to be a fun stretch. Uh, so, um, you know, fun start, successful start, team effort, you know, contribution up and down the roster, up and down the rotation. In the first game is everything you can want. Let's see, um, you know, what they can do carrying that into game two, three, four, five, and on. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good weekend. And you.